Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome in to another edition of Doyle and Derek, the podcast via Indie Star. I'm your host, Derek Schultz. Afternoons, Quarian Schultz, Fox Sports 1260. But the star of the show, as always, is Indie Star columnist Greg Doyle as we get you set for yet another week of Colts football. And again, Greg, I think kind of for the third straight week in, the, in a row, look, I get that they lost to the Chargers, but overall it's been all kind of happy rainbow sunshine on this podcast so far. I think this 2 and one start for the most part, has been about as good as most fans could have possibly expected, especially considering where we sit today on September 24th. We're a month away from Andrew Luck's retirement, and I think so far so good, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm still kind of giggling at the whole the star of the show is. I, I just can't let that go by, but we're both we're both <laughs> on the show. Uh, but yeah, two and one is, unless you were just completely unhinged, you would have if you had been offered two and one three weeks ago, you'd have taken it in a heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you've been off and offered Jacoby Brissett looking like he looked, good heavens, against the Falcons, you'd have taken that in a heartbeat. And the thing is, as I said to you last week, is that we've still – they've got gears they haven't even hit yet. I don't think anybody's overachieved, including Jacoby. I mean, I can't think of one player that I'd think, yeah, that won't continue. Not one guy. Nobody's underachieved. Darius Leonard didn't play the last game and hadn't played – he'd been fine, but he hadn't been Darius Leonard for his first two weeks. He hasn't hit his level yet. T.Y. Hilton only played half the game the other day and hasn't had a huge game yet. There's a bunch of stuff here that hadn't even happened yet, and they're 2-1. and one. And hey. Vinatieri, by the way, stunk for two weeks, and they're 2-1. Yeah. and so. They almost gave away two games because of Vinatieri. Right. You know, Not to hang it all on him, I guess, but let, let's face it, you leave that many points on the board, you're lucky to escape 1-1. One and one. When I'm in that, real quick, I meant that as a positive that the Colts, I want to make sure, I know you know, but I want to make sure oh, listeners yeah. know. I didn't bring that up to trash Vinatieri. I brought that up to say, all these players have gears they haven't even hit yet, and they're two and one. It's pretty encouraging. They haven't had an A game yet as a team. I think you would have graded them. You'd give them an A for the first half against Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, you'd give them an A maybe for the second or the fourth quarter against Tennessee. But overall, I don't think they've had a full game yet where you'd say, "Yep, you know what? I'm going to give them a, a a full letter grade of an A." I love that your memory is so good. You actually remember quarters being this and quarters <laughs> being that. If you remember yesterday, I was on with you and you and Jake and. I was talking about the Colts. Jake asked me, I think, you know, what what's a negative right now? And I brought up the pass rush, and then I also brought up the run defense, and I couldn't remember. Not only could I not remember the running back of Week 2, I couldn't remember who they played. Yeah. I said, yeah, Austin Eakler in Week one's not a big deal. Deontay Freeman's had a rough season, but both those guys look great. In Week 2, I forget what happened. I don't know who they played, but whatever. It's <laughs> Derrick Henry, that's all. Yeah. So, yeah, you, meanwhile, you remember the fourth quarter. So. To be fair, Tennessee is very forgettable in general, aren't I, they, as a franchise? <laughs> yeah, but I actually drove down there. And <laughs> I was there. You left your computer plug there, and you still didn't remember. It's true. I, I So many times I'll be talking to people – about games that, that they were at and then halfway through the conversation i remember oh yeah, that's right i was there too i just don't you know it all runs together it all kind of becomes a blur that's for sure let's talk about jacoby Brissett. uh through three games you look at the stat line it's very very good i think again it's as good as anyone i think could have reasonably expected for him 
But really, Greg, I think we saw another level that we haven't seen from Jacoby Brissett in that game against Atlanta. He is on pace, and paces are what they are, but he's on pace. Nat Newell tweeted this out for something like 36 touchdowns, five picks, uh, 3,500 yards. A passer rating of whatever it is right now, 110 or whatever it is. I think it's 112 right now. Yeah. Good heavens. I mean, and that's that surely can't continue. Surely. And won't. But still, that's, I mean, three games is a nice sample size. That's not, yeah, after one half, you're, no, this is three games. And we're seeing from, we're seeing from Brissett that when the offensive line's not, what, what he can do, really more than luck, because luck, I don't know why, but luck didn't, how many times did Luck just shake sacks off like Jacoby does? Jacoby just throws them off like water off of a bear's back. Mm-hmm. He just shrugs guys off, and Luck was big and strong and all that. Maybe maybe the difference is Luck was unloading the ball before, or maybe the difference was Luck was leaving the pocket and running before. Whatever the case may be, Jacoby's back there shrugging off sacks and then finding people, and that's pretty remarkable. Yeah, I think it's really more of like a... Luck would take hits, and a lot of times, to be fair to Luck, guys would bounce off of him all the time, too. But it's almost like Brissett is more slippery, where he's just a little more... Both of those guys can move, and both of them are mobile, but I don't I don't even know really how to explain how Brissett is able to escape um, and all of that. And, and you know what, Greg? I think, at the end of the day, you were kind of high man on Brissett. I was low man on Brissett, expectations-wise. And three games is not 16 games. But with what we've seen so far, I think if I underrated anything... It's I underrated the ability of Frank Reich and Nick Sirianni to scheme to his strengths, and that's exactly what they've done through three, I think, very different offensive game plans so far that we've seen. Yes, and I'll get to that in a half second, but I do want to say this, that Brissett is not an all-pro kind of quarterback, apparently. I mean, I, I think it's safe to say. But with if the defense plays like it's supposed to, and it really hasn't even done it yet, but if the defense plays like it's supposed to, we know how good Marlon Mack is. If the kicking game and all that is what it should be, Brissett's good enough for this team to win games. I mean, a lot of games. Oh yeah. I mean, a lot of games. So not. I mean, not every great, not every playoff team has you know a, a, a Pro Bowl quarterback. There's only so many spots that can go around. But anyway, this whole roster is good enough, and with Brissett playing like that, they can go a long way. But yes, Reich, and I guess Sirianni. You know, I I don't mean this. I'm not at all down on him. I, we just have no idea, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, until Reich came here, you thought he'd be great. But you didn't know because Doug Peterson was calling those plays in Philadelphia. But you liked his pedigree and all that, and sure enough, he's great at it. So Sirianni's kind of the same thing. Is we'll find out someday. He's going somewhere. You know, he'll get hired somewhere. He'll he's a head coach somewhere uh, someday, and it might be after if the Colts go nine and seven or better, he's going. I guarantee you he's a head coach. Whether right or wrong, it's going to happen. But having said all that, yes, the the best thing going for the Colts offense right now clearly is Frank Reich. I mean, his offense is just that good. And I, I think I was telling you this yesterday is that it's awfully early to to say. He's special, special. He's only been here a year and three games, but I think we're going to look back 15 years from now and say that guy was special. I think we're seeing it right now. And something else, Greg, that's really struck me about Reich, and this actually dates back to his rookie year, and look, he caught all kinds of hell for that decision against Houston, but his game management, I think 95% of the time when he has to make a critical decision, and it doesn't matter what juncture of the game, but especially in the fourth quarter, he makes the right decision. And we had six years of uh, Chuck Pagano, nice guy, the whole deal. Hey, I'd love to grab a beer with him at a barbecue. I don't really want him coaching my football team. <laughs> we had six years of Pagano playing not to lose, right? Yeah. And, and this guy, whether you like it or not, and it, not every decision is going to work out, he plays to win. And I, I thought, again, in the fourth quarter – there are 32 coaches in the league and 25 to 27 of them probably decide to run the ball on that third down. And he says, you know what? 
Let's throw to Doyle. I know this play's going to work. Let's keep the ball. Our defense is getting shredded right now. I don't want to give it back to them. Let's just keep the ball, get the first down, clock it out. And so often we saw Pagano in the old regime just decide to run three straight times, burn timeouts, kick it back to the other team, and then them march down the field for a game-winning field goal or touchdown. Yeah, um, and I'm, I'm like you, and we're going to do this probably every time for 10 years. What, whatever role we have in this market is we're always going to apologize for what we're about to say about Chuck because mm-hmm. we like him so much and happy that the Bears are doing great, but on defense anyway. But, yes, Chuck always coached, always coached. You could see it. He coached in a way that he wanted to be able to answer questions afterwards. Like, I can defend this move. Mm-hmm. It's all, I swear he was coaching for the press conference later. Like, I can, there's a book here, and I can justify this, this, and this. Reich's coaching to win, and then, because he's so good at talking and so believable, he then wins the press conference anyway. Even when it doesn't work, how that Houston thing didn't work, and Reich said— And he owned it. He owned it and said, that's just the way it's going to roll. And I, I walked out of there. I walked into that press conference prepared to rip him. For like, can you believe he went for it? What on earth? And I walked out of that press conference. And in fact, I, I'm not going to name who it is, but another sports writer in this market walked in with me and said, You're going to rip this guy for that, aren't you? And I said, Yeah, aren't you? And he goes, Yeah, we both were going to rip him. I walked out of that press conference and wrote the exact opposite. The, the other guy ripped him. Whoever <laughs> yeah, he is, yeah, yeah. he ripped him. And I wrote the exact opposite and felt bad for the other guy. Like, I'm sorry if I led you on, but, but right convinced me because Pagano would never could never convince me of anything. Like, if, In fact, if he told me it was raining, I, I would probably go outside naked yeah. because that's gross, <laughs> but also because I wasn't going to be worried about getting wet. And I think it's important to separate Pagano the person from Pagano the coach, and that's kind of how I've always treated it. I, I always went after him, not to make this podcast all about Chuck Pagano, but I've always treated it as you know being really critical of Pagano while you know not criticizing the person. We all liked Chuck, but... Um, as a coach, he just really kind of left a lot to be desired. But that's why this whole Vinatieri thing was so hard for a lot of us, but specifically for me, is I had to write what I had to write several times, and a few times I would even apologize in the story by saying, look, the, you know, Vinatieri's one of my favorite Colts since I've been here. I'd name a few others just so I wouldn't look like I was lying. Like, here's about five guys. He's mm-hmm. on that list. Uh, that's personal, but this is business. And then I'd proceed to say that, you know, a guy like that is hurting the team. But anyway, yeah, it's hard when you really know people and like people and yet, you got to do what you got to do. We all have is, jobs to do, right? right? And they know that. that Vinatieri and Reich and all these guys, they know what they've signed up for. And, and you know, I'll give them credit. They face the music. Vinatieri faced the music with us last week with that Tuesday presser. And Reich faced the music after the Houston game. And, and he'll make other mistakes down the line here, coaching mistakes and errors and game management and the whole deal. And he'll step up and, and answer those questions and take the heat. By the way, about Vinny, and, and it's okay when, when guys lie to us, and I think I – heck, I know I did. After that Tuesday press conference – me and I think it was Jim Aiello at the Star here did a little video afterwards outside 56th Street, and I basically said I did say he just lied to us, you know. And I said I understand it, I get it. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're trying to psych yourself up, you're trying to whatever. I get it that you lied. I'm never mad at people when they lie for reasons I understand. Um, but he also because I asked him specifically at that press conference, you know, you kicked a lot of big kicks, you made most of them, but this feels like different pressure. And he's like, yeah, you guys would think that, but no, it's not. Well, after the game, he then said, this was different. You know, I knew everybody was watching me, and this was a different kind of pressure. Like, okay, Vinny, that's what I asked you a week ago. And the the point is not to – I mean, I'm not playing gotcha, Vinny, like I'm mad at him. I'm just trying to – I guess I want listeners to understand when when people like me say, hey, they're lying, I mean no offense. Mm -hmm. It just – it's like saying it's raining outside. I'm sorry you want it to be sunny outside, but sometimes it rains, and I promise you I won't get naked. But sometimes they lie to us, and when they do, I'm going to let you know they lied to us and tell you why. I love the reception, the ovation that he got for that first kick. Uh, and I think we saw Colts fans 
kind of get dragged after the Andrew Luck thing and, and the preseason retirement and the, some of the boos, whoever was booing, you know, was it Bears fans, was it, whatever it was. I'm not going to rehash all of that again. Well, I'm, I, hold on. It, it wasn't Bears fans. I mean, come on. You can say what you're going to say. You can believe what you're going to believe. There were it wasn't Bears fans people. booing. I had a friend there that said he was around some Bears fans and they were booing because one of them had him on his fantasy team. <coughs> Both. Yeah. That might just be one person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Whatever. what he said, Greg. Okay. I and I, be- I believe him. He also said it was raining and I ran outside naked and I stayed dry. <laughs> so we'll-, <laughs> we'll see on that. But it-, it was neat to see that, and I think Vinatieri responded to that. But you do wonder, Greg, and look, it went in. So uh, it- uh, a make is a make is a make is a make. But you do wonder if the iron had been unkind there, does it completely fall apart for him because it's the first kick of the first drive home crowd, and if he doinks that first kick, does he make the other four? Oh, so many things are so dependent. Like like Daniel Jones mania is happening right now, all because the kicker for, I guess, was Carolina. Or no, Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay. Yeah, yeah. Missed an easy kick. Mm-hmm. And, and still, we're, we're behind Daniel Jones. He looked great, but the mania took off in part because something he had nothing to do with. The kick didn't go in. And like I mentioned to you a few weeks ago, Jacoby's, it might have been his first pass of the whole season against the Chargers. He threw it right at a charger. The guy dropped it. And you just don't know. If that doesn't, you know, it didn't happen, so we'll never know. Same with Vinny's kick. Yes, we'll never know what would have happened. Um, the, the fan the fan base um, need, I don't know about needed, redeemed. I'm not, they were so beautiful to Vinatieri, and granted, he didn't miss any kicks. He didn't give him a chance to see what would have happened otherwise. But they were so beautiful. They gave him an ovation before the kick. Mm-hmm. That's what I loved. It wasn't just, hey, you made a 49-yarder, we're going to cheer for you and try and get your confidence up. He ran onto the field for the field goal, and they gave him an ovation like he'd already made it. They were letting him know, we love you, Vinny. And that was I mean, that was huge. It had to be. I saw signs driving down Capitol downtown for the game before the pregame show at 10.15 in the morning, and there was a tailgate tent right in front of the One America building, and there was a big sign that said, we believe in number four in blue marker or whatever. So I, I think it was cool to see the Colts fans respond that way. But to me, Greg, you know, to think that, okay, everything's solved because Vinny made five kicks – this is going to continue to be a game-to-game thing, at least for me. Uh, I don't know how you're approaching it. I, I'm not as on edge as I was for that first kick against Atlanta, but I, I feel like to just sit here and throw your hands up and say, oh, see, everything's solved, I, I don't know if that's the case. This may be a continuing storyline. Oh, it may be for sure. I do think that until it happens again, I, I'm not going to be – my heart's not going to be in my throat anymore watching him kick because yeah. I don't want to th- be afraid that i got to rip the guy who I like very much. I – you know, his momentum is everything. The mental thing is everything. And it was clearly mental, not physical. And he made five in a row, and he's feeling good. And he's not going to be perfect this year. But he, if he misses a kick in the next game but makes four of them, I think it's a non-issue. And if he, if he goes four out of five. So I, you're right. Anything can happen. But I, at this moment, I'm thinking they dodged a bullet. He's okay. And now the real issue is Darius Leonard's concussion or whatever else. Can we talk about how good Marlon Mack's been this year? Please. I mean, here's a guy that all offseason long barely was mentioned, and I thought to myself, okay, this is going to be the breakout year because everything, he's healthy, right? He's starting the, the year healthy. You know, I know that he's got the, this issue now with the calf or the walking boot or whatever, um, but he started the year healthy and had that huge game to start the season in Los Angeles, but you wrote about it this week. There just seems to be um, th- this it factor with him. He can kind of do everything. Yeah, if you remember his first year here, he he had a he was boomer bust. He had a bunch of twenty yard runs for a guy who didn't have all that many carries. A high percentage of twenty yard runs, and then a league leading percentage of zero or less runs. League leading, 
he was it was all or nothing with him. Basically, if you if he had a hole, he'd hit it and you couldn't stop him. But if he didn't have a hole, he wasn't finding one. He wasn't running anybody over. He was just going down. And now, and he's not. He is not nobody. I've never, I've never seen anybody run the ball like Le'Veon Bell. I've never seen anybody literally take a handoff and just stop moving and look for the opening and then go find. It. I've never seen that before. But Mac is on the continuum of the average running back over here and Le'Veon Bell over there. He's closer to Bell than the average running back. His vision is off the charts now, and he's a big guy. He's six one, two twenty almost. I mean, he's a big, big guy. And I remember this, and I was talking to him after the game yesterday or, or Sunday. First game of the of of his career, twenty seventeen, I guess, at L. A. Rams. He gets a short pass and goes twenty yards, and right near the one yard line, instead of, instead of running a guy over, he stepped out of bounds. And then they gave him the ball, and and I, I remember ripping this in my story after proving he wasn't tough. Pagano then gave him the ball right at the goal line, and it blew up. Mm-hmm. Just another re- reason why we love Pagano, but you don't even know what you're watching sometimes. Um, I was asking Mac about that sequence and like what what's changed because that's not who we see anymore. And he said, "What's changed is his confidence level. He just thinks he belongs and he he believes in himself." And I I wish I'd asked him how did you get there, but I didn't ask him that. But anyway, truth is, point is, he's special, and there aren't but you know five or six guys that are worth a whole lot of money at that position in this league. And he's on the low end of that spectrum, maybe the last guy, but he's on that spectrum where someday he's going to break the bank. He's going to get a lot of money, and it just shows that. For running backs in today's league, Marlon Mack was what a fourth round pick, third round pick, third or fourth, yeah, yeah something like that. You don't need to spend. It's nice to have Saquon Barkley and Ezekiel Elliott. I'm not saying it's not nice to have those guys, but you could find guys like Marlon Mack late in the draft, and you don't need to invest super heavily in that position and, you, and just develop them. You can, but it's it's a crapshoot because how many? I don't know how many backs were taken ahead of him, but it was a a big handful, and. He's got a chip on his shoulder because of that. But so you you can find a guy. You're right. You can, but there's a. It's not like every running back you draft can. I mean, he's just different. A lot of these guys are interchangeable. You can find a serviceable running back anywhere, but Marlon back. That I mean, you, he's special. Totally random. But you mentioned that Rams game in Week One. Do you remember that that Mac play? He was in the end zone, and Pagano didn't challenge it. I remember that. Yes. And and <laughs> not like it would have mattered. The Rams won nine hundred to seven or whatever it was, but. That was kind of the beginning of obviously Pagano's last season. It was ironic that it kind of started that way um, on on a play that he absolutely should have challenged. Let's talk about the defense as well. Um, tale of two halves, really, because I thought in the first half they played you know, they were gifted an interception. Clayton Gathers had the easiest interception you'll ever see in your life. But the second half, I'm not sure if they were gassed or what. Um, Atlanta found something because they dunked all over them. Uh, three touched, I think three possessions, three touchdowns, including that long drive that ate up 10 minutes that uh, was 16 plays. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to forget which names, but the Colts and some of these guys came back, but they were shedding key players on that defense. Kenny Moore did come back. Danique Autry did Hooker come back. came back with a torn meniscus, for God's sake. Right, Hooker came back, but c- couldn't have been 100%. No, no. So they, I, I don't, I assume that's why. You know, they're already playing without Darius Leonard. Arguably, their three best defensive players after Leonard are, in some order, Autry, Moore, and Hooker, mm-hmm. arguably. And they were all three either out of the game or diminished or both. So that's why the defense fell apart. But Anthony Walker, we saw something special in him. We saw Okariki looked, I mean, for a... I think they picked on him a little bit. Uh, they went after him. Yeah. In the past game, one, yeah. they went after him. But I, I think serviceable is the wrong net word for a, a rookie who's played three games. He's, Bobby, if you're listening, you're not serviceable. But three games into your NFL career, he is serviceable, mm-hmm. and that's a credit. That's good. I just wish we'd see a little bit more of a consistent pass rush because it's been here and there. 
And I'm not sure. Did Matt Ryan get touched on Sunday? I know he didn't get sacked. I don't feel like he did. Yeah. Uh, you know, somebody might have brushed his shoulder pad at some point, but man, uh, you know, five incompletions. One of those was just a, a horrific throw um, where he had actually time. I don't know, even still don't know what Matt Ryan thought he saw in that play, but you, know you got to get something. You talking about the pick? Yeah. I remember on the pick, um, and who was it? Somebody, I think it was a linebacker. It might have been Okariki or Anthony Walker. A linebacker was was so close to the receiver, well, whoever the DB was, the DB was whoever it was was so close to the receiver that you know sometimes you know it's the 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 hockey assist it's the it's the the pass leads to the pass leads yeah, yeah. and the guy that makes the real play doesn't get credit for it. Mm-hmm. Whoever that defender was was guarding that guy down the field so well that Ryan saw him and thought the only way to complete this pass is to throw it over that guy, and he just threw it a little bit too high and Gethers got the pick. So Gethers got the pick, but whoever that defender was, and obviously it was so important that I can't remember what position he played. But I want to say it was Okariki against a tight end, but I could be wrong. And and to, to kind of be fair to the defense, when you look at these first three games, these were all three – look, Tennessee is kind of an enigma. But from a talent standpoint, these were all three talented teams. I, I think the Falcons can be a playoff team. I absolutely think the Chargers can. I know they're both one and two. Um, and, and Tennessee, if they ever get their ish together and Mariota – ends up even being serviceable, then I think they could fight for a playoff berth as well. Um, I, I think this defense is going to bounce back when you're talking about facing Mason Rudolph and uh, y- you know some of the teams that they're going to face, Miami, that they've got coming up here later on in, in the season. And how about the fact, the scheduling quirk, that the Colts, because of division finish last year at second, they draw Miami and Pittsburgh, and Houston, because they finished first, get New England and Baltimore. Go. The, the division could come down to the fact that the Colts go 2-0 and in those games and Houston goes 0-2. Right, right. And Pittsburgh which is, is crazy to think. As long as Roethlisberger's out and he apparently he's going to be out all year, they're just not. I mean, no. they, they fall and they're not coming back. Nope. Maybe not ever. I mean, they're coming back, but maybe not even <laughs> next year. I don't know if Roethlisberger or whatever. The Pittsburgh dynasty appears to be over. And right in time for the Colts and Miami stinks right in time for the Colts. So, yeah, there's... The schedule that we all talked about in the preseason. Well, it's a tougher schedule because of where they fit. You know, all these great quarterbacks and blah 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 blah. And it's still not an easy schedule. But they've got. I mean, they're going to really turn the other way because of the injuries. I yeah. think. Oh yeah. Uh, and I, I, do you believe in trap games? You trap no. game guy. N- not with this coaching staff. Okay, because if there was such thing as a trap game with Kansas City, a Sunday night football game looming the next week, wouldn't it be Oakland at home, a 1 o'clock start? I think, you know, all these coaches, they all have slogans and sayings, and the question is, do your high-paid pros, do they buy into that crap? And, like, build the monster, that was I mean, that sounded good to the media, but what does that mean to a player? As you're in the weight room, what does build the monster mean? I mean, I guess it means <laughs> doing the rep and build myself, but what does it really mean? So Pagano had slogans that he liked but didn't connect with the players. Reich's talking about getting 1% better every day, go 1-0 every week. And these guys, they say it back. Like, no one ever, no Colt ever told me, yeah, we're just going to build a monster. No one ever told me that. Mm-hmm. But they always say we're, our goal is to go 1-0 this week. They they believe it. So I don't, you know, Reich is, I mean, I think he's a really good coach and X's nose and all that. But as we all know in professional sports, unless you're Bill Belichick and you're just so damn brilliant and you cheat so much, it doesn't matter how if your players like you or not. <laughs> with In Reich's case, he connects with the players so much that that's, that's half the battle here. You've always got to fit in the Pats dig, don't you? At some point, I just can't. I can't stand. <laughs> I, I don't. You know what I? What I really hate more than anything. It's really designed at, at their their fans, and, and I know you people are listening. And shame on you for even caring enough. But thanks for the clicks. You just got me a raise. Thank you for that. They're listening. They're idiots. Um, and and every last one of them has a Twitter name that's anonymous. They don't. They're ashamed of who they are. But they come out and, and but 
if Antonio Brown, if if half the crap that's happened with the Patriots in the last 10 years had happened anywhere else, they would see what we all see. But fans just can't see when it's their own team, which is why if something ever happens around here, uh, it's going to be hard on me because if something ever happens around here and the fans don't see it because they don't want to see it and I'm going to see it because I get paid to see it and it's going to be a problem. So anyway, right now the problem is New England. Screw them. You win and you get away with whatever you want pretty much. Pretty much. I mean, how, how, many, how many teams could have honestly signed Antonio Brown after that situation and gone away with it and not gotten dragged? Just one, New England. Right. Anybody right. else would have gotten killed for that. Um, speaking of the Patriots and the Chiefs in general, both of those teams are 3-0, and and I think we thought going into the season, okay, th- th- these teams are on a different level than everybody else, and I still think that that, through what we've seen, is true. But to me, and, and again, I'm going to give you credit for this, Greg, because you were high man on them and I was lower uh, on the Colts going into the season. I don't think there's any reason why the Colts can't be in the mix in that second tier. So first tier, New England and Kansas City. I'm talking just AFC only. Yeah. They, there's no reason why they can't be part of that second tier, right? I mean, who makes up that second tier? Baltimore? Uh, Houston? Indy? Um, nobody else in the AFC. Nobody's taking Buffalo seriously at 3-0. They've played three terrible teams. I mean, good for them. But I'm trying to think of who even else would make up that list. Yeah, at West, I mean, I guess the, Char- the Chargers, the, yeah. the, the Chargers, and the Chiefs, and the Chargers. You know, the Colts probably should have beat. Well, should have beaten the Chargers. So yeah, yeah. The the Colts are uh, for for me the bar after after seeing three games. The bar with the Colts is they need to win the AFC South. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's fair. I think that's that's pushing them a little bit. But you don't set a bar that's easy. You set a bar that you can get there. That's where they need to get. They need to win the AFC South. They're they're that good. The AFC South is that winnable. Uh, but Patrick Mahomes is not human. I mean, he's just, just stupid. He's that's silly. His first half numbers apparently just in first halves of games before teams are blown out and he, they let off the gas. His first half numbers are good enough to be in the top five in the NFL and everything. First I, half, yeah. I, I saw a guy on Twitter. I think it was Scott Kazmar. Used to work for Football Outsiders. He had a tweet. If you took Mahomes' worst eleven games and he had the stat line, and he'd be like, "Look, this is this guy. Even at his worst, and so far what he's done this uh, in his career, it's he's been absolutely incredible." But that'll be a great. I mean, if the Colts can get to three and one, I think we all looked at the first quarter and said, "Hey, we'd be thrilled if they could split those first two on the road and then win two at home." If they could get to three and one, I think that Kansas City game, and we'll talk about it next week, would be a fascinating litmus test to kind of see uh, where they are. Do you get emails or tweets about the roof? Do fans care about the the you know closed open deal? Uh, I don't get emails. I do. I, I you know I actually I haven't this year, but yes, we spend a lot of money because the kind of people that send emails are. Are typically older, mm-hmm. and so we spend a lot of money. And how you know they care about money. Twitter is just heat of the moment. Yeah, on Sundays I get it a lot, and I and and forgive me, but I sometimes feed into it. It'll be, it'll be sixty three, and or whatever the temperature is, and I'll I'll send out a mocking tweet. Yeah, roof's gonna be closed. <laughs> Not thinking at the moment, and I, I that I I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear from everybody about the money we spent and bought. I just I just want to make a comment and move on. But everybody wants to pile on to it now. It looks now it looks like I'm dragging Jim Mercy through the mud, and I'm not trying to do that. I'm just kind of making a point. But anyway, why did you? I, I think they closed it for Vinatieri, you know, because it was oh. such a. That's what I think. Uh, they they do have this like sixty eighty thing, and and the highs were in the mid eighties. And you might say, hey, that's a beautiful late summer day. But I actually went to the end zone seats, you know, from where we sit in the press box that are directly in the sun, right below the window. Yeah. Because I had a, a guy tell me, hey, you know, if you think that we're soft for sitting in the sun, go sit down there. So three years ago, I went down there and I told one of the ushers, hey, you know, can I actually just kind of stand over here for, you know, the next couple of places? Like, yeah, go for it. And it gets toasty. I mean, it, it, it sucks to be directly in the sun. 
Um, so I, I get where some of those people are coming from, but to me, Greg, they should have just built... You had the RCA Dome, permanently indoor stadium. What do you need a roof in Indianapolis, Indiana for? You need a roof in Houston. You need a roof in Miami, where it's oppressively humid and hot. And indeed, they should, I, to me, they should have just made it indoor and saved the money. You're telling me, though, I, this is the first I've heard of this. Um, there's, a, there's a school of thought that they closed the roof to make Vinny easier. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think I think that they – and in the past, I, I can't remember specific examples, but I think they've closed it on nice – nights uh you know early in the season because they wanted the the volume of the crowd to stay in instead of escaping out man that is your prerogative it's like major league baseball teams and i'm not sure if they can do this anymore because there's so much attention paid to everything now but major league ball teams used to if a fast team was coming into your stadium you would have the sprinklers the, the you know the, the grounds crew make the the air in front of the dirt um Faster or slower, whatever helped the, yeah. the ground balls. I mean, the grass might be trimmed a certain way to prepare for whatever the team was coming. Or if your team was really fast, you'd keep it trimmed short. So that happens. And if the Colts did that to help Vinny, which means to help themselves, good, mm-hmm. good. What, what? There's nothing wrong with being comfortable inside a dome. Nothing wrong with that. No, you remember Notre Dame USC from 05 with Reggie Bush, and they apparently let the grass grow all week in Notre Dame Stadium oh, <laughs> just to right. slow down Reggie Bush. I think that's kind of the ultimate example of uh, yeah of of when a team has actually used that. And if it works, it works. And that 49 yarder, you said this earlier, but man, if that because it wasn't like it went through the goal, it, went, it didn't hit the upright and then just went through easily. I my vantage point in the press box was perfect. I wasn't sure it went through even as I watched it because it was so close to the crossbar. It was like three feet away. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was close to falling. So I'm like, wait, a minute, what happened? Oh, it's in. Um, if if the if the roof being closed helped that field goal get in, I mean, that's a that's a season changing kick. Yeah. for the whole team because now they've got a maybe a great kicker's back again. If they go ten and six and he wins a game down the road, maybe it happened because the damn roof was closed. You've got better eyes than I do because when I'm sitting in that press box, I have no idea whether the hell the, the kick went through or not. We're we're kind of like. You know, it's, it's all horizontal to us. I, I wait to see the referees or hear the roar of the crowd to know if it went in or not. Oh, I do almost always. Just in this one case, it hit the upright, yeah. and, and, and it's going slowly. I could see it fall, and I could see it fall gotcha. with a bunch of yellow over here, and the brown was over there. So wait a minute, what just happened? <laughs> but it was close enough to the yellow that I was like, wait. I mean, it was close. It was, mm-hmm. again, it wasn't like, because they can go through the thing, hit the upright and glance through, and it never matters. This one damn near landed on the crossbar. <laughs> <laughs> As we're wrapping up here, one other thing that I wanted to touch on, because I just thought this was really interesting. I'm not sure if you're a food guy or not, but uh, Allison Carter, one of your colleagues here at the Star, was having people tweet her this morning of favorite like secret lunch spots or dinner spots in Indy. Do you have any? You've been here long enough now, where you've hit some of the local haunts. Do you have any that are your personal favorite, secret or not? Yeah, mine was such a secret it went out of business. And this is so typical for me. I, I like certain things, and and I'm I guess I'm different from a lot of people. And it, it, the stuff I buy at grocery stores, case, and I'll get to this restaurant in a minute. I used to buy pizza. Pizza Hut had and maybe still has whole grain crust when I lived in Cincinnati. So I'd order Pizza Hut, you know, delivery, and I'd like your whole grain crust. And I ordered it three or four times. And then I, the fifth time, I, I called it and, and tried to order it. And they, we don't offer it anymore. And I said, but Pizza Hut sells it around the country. Why don't you offer it? And they said, because only two families in town ordered it. And it was me and my friend down the street. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I, I like things people don't like, I guess. But it was Fireside Grill, um, Fireside Grill in Greenwood on County Line. In I know what you're talking about, right across from the Walmart. Right. Yes. Yeah. And they had this M80 sauce mm-hmm. that I've tried to crack the code. I mean, I, th- I think it's, it's like some hot sauce and some Thousand Island, maybe some ketchup. I've tried to crack it. It was great. And of course, it went out of business. And now it's Ale Emporium. Did that? That's, that's what it became. Yeah. Ale Emporium just opened up, and and I'll try there again someday, I guess. But so anyway, my my the place that I like that's still open for now is Shallows, um, also in Greenwood. I live in Greenwood. I eat there. I don't 
I don't eat downtown just because why am I going to drive 20 minutes just to go eat? I, I hear you. Yeah. Uh, if you're on the south side, do you like Asian food at all? I do, but here's what I do, Derek. What I do is I make my own salad every night. Every night. And so I have an Asian dressing and an Asian marinade that I marinate my chicken and my peanuts in. And then I have bar. Anyway, I have. This question's not for me. I don't eat out. You changed up the dressings and toppings, though. I think you've talked about that, right? I don't so change it's the not, toppings. It's not the same salad. I change the dressings okay. and the marinade that I have my chunky toppings marinated in. And by marinade, all I mean is I put my chunky stuff in the Tupperware first, pour in barbecue sauce, shake the thing up, and now that's marinated. And then I put in my spinach, my salad dressing. But So I'm I'm the wrong guy. What is your gotcha. secret Place. There's a place actually up on on Lafayette, uh, kind of northwest side, at least northwest side from downtown, called Shawnee's Secret Chicken, and it even has "secret" in the name. And it's like an Indian style chicken with like Indian spices, but fried chicken. Huh. It's, it's really really good. Also, there's a Mexican place at 38th and High School that looks like an abandoned like shell station. Uh, little mini convenience store but they make tortas and all kinds of authentic mexican food and there's always a line out the door and it's a, it's awesome what's the name of that place that makes that really spicy um shrimp cocktail saint elmo that's my secret place yeah i'm not sure if you guys heard of that <laughs> yeah no no one has <laughs> no in fact i've only eaten there one time in my life and it was uh like before i worked the star like i'm different yeah. i mean saint elmo i love you but if you want to give me some you know some coupons i'll come that's but, right but i can't afford that it's kind of our vice my, my wife and I, I i'm really kind of a cheapskate and kind of a frugal person but um our vice is going out to eat in fact we have a list of all the local places and we just kind of check them off as we go so that's like our big thing we love to try local restaurants and hidden gems and the whole deal so I just thought that was interesting from Allison today, if you want to check that out via Twitter. Also, you can check out Greg on Twitter, at Greg Doyle Star, me at Schultz975, and Afternoons Fox Sports 1260. And the podcast will continue next week. We'll have uh, more to talk about the Raiders game and look forward to Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs for Sunday Night Football. Thanks, Greg. We'll see you next week. All right, Derek. 